0: Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Join me today. Please welcome my guest. She's a motivational speaker, entrepreneur, the founder of Envision Your Purpose. It's Christine Gardner. How are you doing today, Christine?
1: I'm doing so great. How are you, Alex?
0: I'm doing good. I'm so excited to have you on the show and talk about your Rise of the Challenge. First thing we like Thank to do with our guests is to go right to the game. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up?
1: So I was born in Portland, Oregon. Um, my parents were actually refugees from the Vietnam war and, um, they raised me in Portland and I had five older siblings and actually, I'm so sorry, four, four older siblings <laughs> and, and, and a sister. Sometimes it felt like there were five brothers, but there was really only four. Anyways. So, um, yeah. And that's where I I was raised until I was seven. And then one day my mom came home from work and she said that she listened to this cassette tape along with some of her coworkers during lunchtime from a man who proclaimed to be a prophet of God. And he said that Um, anybody who's living on the west coast which we were living in Portland Oregon at the time they we were going to die first in in a huge earthquake and that part of the the United States would fall into the ocean and and he said the end of the world was coming very soon within months and that he could protect us and that we loved our family um, that we'd get up and go and follow the prophet.
0: During that time did you know were you like listening to like like the news or something and hearing things about this, or was this like something that came out of nowhere and you're like, it I literally know. came out of nowhere.
1: It literally came out of nowhere because this was literally a cassette tape that my mom was listening to that had been distributed. Um, who knows how far and wide he had a lot of followers along the West coast, California, um, Oregon, and then lots of people in Vietnam. And so my mom was listening to a cassette tape of a man who just proclaimed to be a prophet. And I think because of what she's been through, because she's had to escape um, the Vietnam War, and she's overcome that um, tragedy, she, I, I think it just, she felt like she was doing what was right.
0: So talk about those moments where you're basically going into a different direction, moving to a new place to follow what your mom was wanting.
1: It was terrifying for me as a child. I was seven years old and we had just barely moved into my mom's dream home. We had just been there for less than a year and I had just barely made new friends. And I had my cousin who was my best friend and um, I... Literally, from the time my mom met the prophet to the time that we left, it was within a month, and I never had the chance to really say goodbye to, to my friends and my family, because I really didn't think that we were going to leave so suddenly.
0: Did you kind of think that you didn't really have a childhood then, because you're basically leaving everything behind?
1: Yeah. My childhood was very tumultuous because as soon as my mom came home with that news that she wanted to go follow the prophet, my dad was like, dude, I don't want to have anything to do with this. This is like Waco, Texas. And and truly Waco, Texas was happening about the same time. And he's, he's like, I'm going to kill these people. Like how dare they come into my life and tear apart my family. And, um, but because my dad didn't believe he was exiled from the group, And later on, my brothers were two. And so I went from having four older siblings to me being the oldest in our home. And then my little sister, um, who was three at the time, and I was seven. And then there was my mom. So we went from a family of eight to a family of three. So it was very unsettling.
0: Did you have to feel like you were being the one that has to take care of your siblings now? Or was your mom still being that mom figure for you?
1: At a time, at the time, my mom was doing her very best. I mean, she went from having a really great job in Portland, Oregon, to you know, working in a food manufacturing plant. And then also she was working in the potato harvest um, at night. And so oftentimes we wouldn't actually see her. And so I went and it and it was at the age of nine, is when I remember, um, that's when my brothers got exiled cause they, they did get to stay for a little while. And then, um, at the age of nine is when it was just me and my little sister. And so I was scrambling to figure out how do I keep this five-year-old alive? You know,
0: were you going to school or was it everything like homeschooled during that time? Also,
1: I got to go to school until I was a freshman in high school in my freshman year is when they decided that they didn't want me going to school anymore because I really was a threat to their secret society. They had always told me never to make friends, never to talk about what we believed in, um, but for me when I left the house it was like this freedom that I never had at home, you know, to talk about things that were not scary. Um, and so I loved making friends and I've always been very social and so when they recognize that about me, they're like, yeah, we got to pull her out of school. So me and my sister were no longer able to go to school. And we were literally locked in the house. Um, they would deadbolt the door from the outside when my mom went to work.
0: So when you were going to school, were you having to not say anything about what you were going through? Or were you yeah. able to tell people and see, could they help you in a way?
1: No, I was not allowed to talk about it.
0: Was that hard as a person living through that and not being able to talk about it or try to give hints to help maybe escape at all?
1: Oh, yeah, it was. Can't even find the word to describe how limiting that was for me, because the truth is I could never really become close to anybody. And even as a teenager, I mean, I... I wanted to have friends and I wanted to be able to escape this life, but I I could never talk about it. And so, yeah, it was very difficult.
0: How did you keep a positive mindset during that time, like to be able to take care of your siblings and stay alive any way possible?
1: Man, that's such a great question. And you know, there's definitely times when I didn't even try to have a positive attitude. I was very depressed at times and I just remember there were times when I'd wake up in the morning and we would have a ritual where we'd get up and we'd go um, to another cult member's house. Cause we kind of lived in an area that there was a lot of cult members that lived in that area. So we would just walk over to their house and we'd pray. And I remember my friend's mom was always like, man, you must sleep way too much cause your eyes are so puffy. But the truth is I would cry myself to sleep because of how, sad I was by the fact that I couldn't have contact with my dad, my brothers, and the life that we lived was so restricting and depressing. Um, so there's definitely times when I when I didn't keep a positive attitude. Um, but also there were times when I had to, you know, like I had my little sister and I definitely tried to put on uh, a good face for her, especially at times when it was extremely hard for her. Um, and I, and you know, I, I was scared of God because of who they taught me that he was, but still at the same time, I didn't feel alone because I knew he existed.
0: Mm -hmm. Were there other kids maybe going through that? I, I mean, I don't, I don't know the situation, but like other kids in that cult that maybe you could be able to talk to? because you guys are going through similar things or did they basically isolate you? you No,
1: there were other kids that were there too. So the first year that we were homeschooled, the other kids were homeschooled too. And then the second year, they actually let them go back. And then they, but they still kept me and my sister in isolation. So it was so interesting because when people are like talking at you, instead of talking with you i feel like the things that they were like instilling in us sometimes weren't being absorbed very well by some of the other kids they just knew that they were living a horrific life but they didn't understand it mm-hmm. and there were so many things that i didn't truly understand either they were literally talking at me and and you know shoving this information Um, down my throat but so it was and it was so horrifying the things that they were saying that we never really wanted to talk about it anyways so no as kids we didn't talk about it
0: so as the years went on what were you trying to do to possibly break free from the group?
1: yeah thanks for asking so um well there was one summer well it was actually before the summer happened but um I had been saving money. I had been saving like all the change that I could find because my sister and I had gotten punished for something that we didn't do. And it was just, it was so hard. It was so hard to be isolated in this home where we lived in darkness because they literally boarded up the the windows of the apartment that we lived in because they said that at the end of times, like evil spirits could come into the home and that was one way that we could potentially prevent it if we were pure and um, so we literally lived in darkness and they had a they had dogs that were chained to our porch to keep people away and so we literally lived in isolation and I just I desperately wanted to be able to see my dad and my brothers and so I started saving up money and I knew a, a, a greyhound ticket was approximately forty six dollars. I was fourteen years old at the time. And I had been saving up change for months, Um, change that I could find around the house. And I even stole, you know, a dollar bill here and there for my mom's purse. And finally I had just about 40 bucks and I never told my sister my plan because I didn't want her to worry. But finally one day I was like, this is the day I have to leave. And I looked at my sister and I said, sis, I have to go. I'm going to go find dad. I know he can help us. And I'm going to come back for you. And I wanted to take her with me, but I didn't even have enough t- money for my own Greyhound ticket. I, and, but I knew that once I got to the bus stop, somebody would help me with the rest of the money that I needed. But that was seriously the hardest thing that I've ever had to do in my life is to climb out that window. And um, they had one window in the apartment that they'd leave open because my sister and I would always complain and say, you know, we don't have a phone because they wouldn't let us have a phone. I was like, what if we had a fire? in the house and we can't even get out because you guys lock us in. And they said, well, we're going to leave this one window open so that you can scream for help if you need help. Cause the prophet lived right across the way from us. Like his kitchen window was facing our kitchen window. And so that's the window they kept like unbarred. So I had to crawl out that window and on the way to the bus stop, I stopped at a police officer's house. And I said, I told him my plan. I said, Hey, I'm, I'm going to Portland, Oregon on the Greyhound. I'm going to go find my dad. I'm going to stand on a street corner, um, where we used to close to where we used to live and hope that he still works in that area and say, you know, I'm looking for Kai Tran. Can you help me? I was going to hold a sign. And, um, but I said, my sister is still in that house. I need you to help her. Cause I don't know when I'm going to be able to get back. And so he said, I can't let you go. You would be considered a runaway. Just crawl back into that window as if we had never spoken and I'm going to send for help for you tomorrow. So as promised, he sent, he sent for help. Um, The next day, I just remember the dogs were barking like crazy because there were people trying to come to the house and, um, the the police were there and child protective services came and my um, junior high principal even came and I wasn't allowed to get out, but my mom and some of the other cult members went out to talk to them. And after about an hour and I was thinking, my sister and I were like, you know, like we couldn't, we didn't know exactly what was happening, but I was like, sis, I think that they're going to, they're going to take us. I think they're going to take us to our dad. So I'm like, let's go pack our stuff. But my mom came back in the house after about an hour and nothing changed. So it's the only thing I can think of is they just got bamboozled and my, my mom and the other cult members like convinced them that we were okay and that they were homeschooling us.
0: Did you feel when you your mom came back in like uh, defeated in a way like i tried so hard but
1: oh my gosh (laughs) oh defeated is an understatement oh my gosh i was i was i was so defeated deflated depressed i didn't know what else i could do i mean if the police couldn't help me who was going to help me
0: Did you try to think of new plans or something else, or how long did it take until the next opportunity was available?
1: Well, the interesting and sad thing is, just a few months later, um, my dad tried to commit suicide, and my mom had gotten word of that. And so one day, my mom was like, "We're gonna, es- we're gonna escape today." And I was like, "What?" And we, she was talking in hushed tones because we had the apartment was bugged. Um, The prophet said that he was listening in on us so that he could keep us safe. And so my mom was whispering in my ear. She said, we got to walk to the grocery store. And the town that I lived in was St. Anthony. It's like, I don't know, like maybe 3,000 people. There was one grocery store. And on Sundays, everything's basically closed besides the gas station. But at the grocery store, there was a a public um, telephone booth. And I know that some people don't know what a telephone booth is. Alex, I know you're really young, so maybe that's you. (laughs) I
0: mean, I've seen them before. I just, I've never used
1: one. Used one. Okay, so basically, you drop quarters in it, and it gives you a certain amount of time. So, like maybe like three minutes for every quarter. Um, So, my mom said we need to be able, we need to escape without being seen, and we didn't have a car, so we literally had to take the back roads, walk all the way to the grocery store, which is a couple miles without being seen by any of the cult members. It was a Sunday, so the store was closed, but the, but the telephone booth was still there. So my mom took out her old um, telephone book that had all of our family members' names and phone numbers written in there, but she hadn't spoken to any of them in like seven years. Because once she left to follow the prophet, they always said we had to cut off everybody in our life that didn't believe in what we believed. And so when she was like, I'm trying to get a hold of my husband, and they'd be like, Oh my heck, like, where have you been? How come you haven't called? How come you left your family? How come you're doing this and this and this? Anyways, we ended up running out of quarters. And we're standing there bawling. And there's this man that shows up in the parking lot. And we're like, What's he doing here? Doesn't he know the store is closed? It's a Sunday. And he walks up and he goes to the vending machine to go get himself a soda. And he looks over at us, there's three of us, right? My mom, my little sister and I, and we're just bawling. And he's like, can I help you? And my mom would not talk to him, my mom would not look at him because we were literally being like caught red-handed in a crime, according to the cults. You know, We were not supposed to reach outside people and we were there on a Sunday and when we were supposed to be home praying and worshiping and Anyways, I finally looked up at the man and I said, my dad needs to hear our voice. We're trying to get a hold of my dad. And he said, you need some quarters? I have some quarters. And he literally had a pocket full of quarters. And he's like, I'm going to go to the gas station and get you some more quarters. So he did that. And we finally were able to get a hold of my dad. And then the next phone call my mom made was to my uncle in California. And she said, I need you to come and take me to go see my husband and my kids. Um, during that summer, my dad was like, why isn't she in school? You need to let her go back to school. And I think my mom was getting so much pushback from, obviously the police showed up and I think she was having to go through like these weekly courses, uh, through child protective services. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but when I, after pleading for those whole two years, uh, right before summer ended. She was like, fine, get out, go, go to school. She's like, but you better not make any friends and you'd better be home right on time. And don't tell anybody what you believe. And anyways, I promised her, I promised her I wouldn't make friends, but lo and behold, I made friends. <laughs> and one of those friends helped me escape.
0: Did your mom ever, I don't know, not think, but like kind of said uh something nice when you spoke up to that man at the or at the telephone booth because if maybe if you didn't spoke up then you probably wouldn't been able to call your uncle at that time.
1: Yeah you know I don't remember I don't remember it I'm sure she was thankful. but yeah I don't remember all the nitty- gritties about it. I just remember how joyous it was to be able to connect with my dad, hear his voice, hear my brother's voice. What brothers' voices and be able to see them again. But of course, we we went back to the cults.
0: So when you made the friend in school to help you escape, how did that happen? What was the next one? Uh,
1: Well, what happened is, um, it, home at, at class one day, she started talking about God, and she called him Heavenly Father. And I was like, who the heck are you talking about, girl? Like, he will smite you? And I just thought, maybe my mom was right. Maybe my mom, when she says that other people worship a different God, maybe she's right. Because I don't think that this girl's talking about the same person. Because the person she was talking about was loving and knew us by name and was in the details of our lives and existed to help us make it back to him. And for me, what I was taught was that he would take any opportunity to smite you to punish you. He was to be feared. And I did. I, I always feared him. And so as I got to know her and really felt of the love that she had for Heavenly Father, I was like, oh my gosh. And the the, the hope that she had in her life and the example of love that she was, I just like, you know what? I have nothing to lose by believing that he is who she says he is. And um, I started reading the scriptures and coming to know Him. And um, the time came when I graduated from high school, which they always told me that I would never graduate from high school because I would die at a young age. That um, I would never go to college, never have a family, never have a career, so I never plan for any of those things. But I I moved out of the house to get a job in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, with my friend. And um, uh, there are so many events that happened in between. But really quickly, my brother actually passed away in a motorcycle accident that summer when I had moved out. And from that experience, I had decided that there is no way I'm going to allow anybody to tell me who it is that I can live with, who it is that I can spend time with. And I came back from his funeral knowing that I had to cut ties with the cults. And so my mom actually had me over uh, with, and I moved back into the house with my mom um, because she, she really needed my support at the time. She had just lost her son. And um, over a conversation with dinner, over dinner, she had a friend over trying to convince me that their cult was true, their cult was right. And I just told her friend, I said, I don't believe this anymore. And my mom threw a frying pan across the room and said, you're no longer my daughter, get out. And at the time I had nowhere to go. I just called my friend and I I was like, I don't know where to go. And I, I ended up moving in with her mom. And that was the very last time that I was ever part of that cult.
0: Was that all, do you still had that communication with your mom or since you were basically breaking free from the cold, you couldn't have any contact with her?
1: My mom disowned me for five years. And the only reason why she started talking to me again was because my sister got pregnant out of wedlock and my sister wanted to keep the baby. And so I wrote my mom a letter and I said, mom, I know it's been a long time since we've talked, but... Dorothy, my sister's going to need as much help as she's as she can get to raise this baby, and so my mom started talking to me again.
0: So after you were let go from the cult, was this the mindset? Now is I got a lot to do to make up for time to not from not having a child, but from not experiencing what I want to experience in a way.
1: No, actually, that's a really great question. I um. So the purpose, my purpose inside the cults was to survive and hopefully be worthy to be saved, right, at the end of days. But one of the biggest things that I realized from coming to know God was that he has a purpose for us, and his purpose is for us to thrive. And when I knew that, I just knew that I had to live my best life. And I didn't feel like I needed to make up for any lost time. Um, But I definitely enjoyed the new freedom that I had. I went to college and I met an incredible man. Um, I got married, which was something that I never thought I would do. And now I have three incredible children. And it's the best, it's the best feeling in the world to be able to overcome something so devastating, to have your eyes opened to know that fulfillment is my birthright
0: would you say it it made you stronger in a way that you can kind of take on any challenge and be able oh
1: to- yeah <laughs> totally you know what's funny is um I recently spent time with a, a group of friends um at a cabin and and you know it was over the It was over the time that the elections in the US was happening and, you know, there's people have every reason to freak out, right? Whether they believe, whether they're on the left wing or the right wing and, 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 and our country is going through some really, really devastating times. Um, it's super unsettling, right? But like, I got these girls that are like, and they're freaking out right? They're freaking out about the future and they're freaking out about all sorts of things, which everybody really is freaking out about, right? I mean, people are rioting about it and people are killing each other over it. But for me, I have like this incredible sense of peace and just conviction that no matter what happens, I know how this is going to end. You know, I know how this is going to end and that confidence and that faith comes from Heavenly Father. And truly, I've been preparing for chaos since I was seven. I'm now 35. The fact that I'm even at this age is such a blessing to me. So, yeah, there's lots of chaos happening out there. It's not as bad as as I thought it was going to be. And it was it's come a lot later than I thought. So, like, for me, I just... I'm like, I'm in my jam right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like in my prime of my life where uh, I am enjoying such a fulfilling life throughout through all of this chaos. And it's because I've been through chaos. This is not chaos compared to what I've been through.
0: It's kind of like when you're saying that the small things that are not the small things, but the things that are going on isn't going to stop you because... Like you mentioned earlier, someone told you that you weren't going to graduate high school, you weren't going to graduate college, you weren't going to have a family, you weren't going to have a career, and you are kind of proving them wrong, and you're focusing on what's kind of best for you and your family nowadays.
1: Yeah, I'm living my life by design, which is what everybody, I believe, should be doing, right? They should be living on purpose with a purpose, and that has been the biggest, like, north northern star in my life is knowing that I have a purpose and my purpose changes as I change um and whatever's happening in the world all that chaos that's not going to change the fact that I'm going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to know why it is that I exist you know why it is that I have been given these talents these trials these experiences so that I can thrive and I can help other people do the same
0: so going to college, what were you wanting to pursue?
1: <laughs> well, um, I started off in healthcare. Okay. And uh, I think, like most, most all kids, it seems like, especially if you come from a family who was destitute, like mine was, like you know, coming from the Vietnam War, they brought me to this country to live in a land of freedom, and opportunity. And so my dad was always like, "Why you not become a doctor? Why you not be a lawyer?" You know, like 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 a doctor and a lawyer was like the only options, right? So I tried to go into healthcare, thinking, "Okay, I'm gonna start maybe as a nurse and then work my way up." But the truth is, I hated that. This <laughs> is like not I don't I don't like blood, and I just I'm it's not I'm not meant for that life. Um, and then I went into psychology, thinking that I can help people mentally, because I have been through such mental trials, but I realized that there was a possibility that my life would never be in order enough to help somebody else. Wow. And so, and because I had been, been disowned from my mother and I was having nightmares about my past, and I was like, wow, I can't help other people if I can't help myself. And then um, I went to school for secondary education so that I could teach kids um, about child development and food science and meal prep and um, teen living, all the things that I I wish I could have indulged in as a, as a kid, but never got to. So anyways, I went to school for that, but I never used my degree, isn't that sad? kind of sad, but kind of not. Well, I
0: I think about that being sad. I think sometimes you go on this path, and I've seen it a lot with my friends where, and I, I would say even myself, I went to school for a sports management degree, but I'm not using that right now. But I know I have that vision where you kind of talked about where you had that goal of helping people in a way, and helping kids, and helping individuals through psychology and stuff, and even through healthcare the kind of the common goal you had was helping. And when yeah. you talk about what you're doing now, you're you're basically meeting that goal and you're helping people live their best life, empowering them. So we're always using our degree and our passions in a way, but we may not think about it right off the top of our. Yeah,
1: it's so true because even my teaching degree now, I teach, I coach, I train, yep. and I'm using the talents and the skills that I've acquired. And so, yeah. I'm really grateful.
0: And you can definitely tell just with your smile, you're passionate about it. And that's
1: <laughs> I love it. It's my jam. I do. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I love it.
0: I think that's the important thing that nowadays, and I always tell in a lot of the interviews that I do, is you got to find your passion wherever you can, because like you even mentioned, you want to wake up and you want to be excited to what? what's that goal you today? What do you want to accomplish in that week? And if you're not thinking about that, that's the perfect time to kind of do a self-reflection and think, what's, what do do I want to accomplish? Start writing in a journal, writing down lists and everything. So what did you start doing as a career after college? What direction were you wanting to
1: go? So I always loved people. I love people. I love like learning about their stories and um, I went into sales um, at AT&T. I sold the first iPhone in Idaho and I worked for AT&T corporate for quite a while. And um, they invested a lot in me and training. And I, after a couple of years, I was like, well, my husband, I was, he was in a career where uh, he was installing security systems and he was a, a regional manager. And we were traveling the country and, um, but he wanted to get out of that. And I could understand why, because it was getting really unsavory. And so I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'll put you through school. I'm going to go back to work to, for AT&T. And, um, but my life unfolded in, in such a different way because I, I had a baby, my baby, our first child. And. I was hardly able to spend time with my baby and I was like, honey, I was like, let's do plan B. I was like, how about you start that commercial security company that you've always dreamed of? And I will support you. And hopefully this way we can make more money and spend more time with our baby. And the interesting part is like, I always thought that because I had the sales skills, from all the training and the coaching that I had been given at ATT, that it would automatically transfer it to my new business and that I could sell security systems like nobody's business, right? But the truth is, like when you're starting your own business, you're wearing all these hats. And I was running so hard so fast for so long without actually working on the business so like i never really measured how well i was doing actually building new skills it was just like i was in the daily grind after three years of working myself to the bone our accountant sat us down and said you guys are making less than minimum wage you guys are making less than minimum wage for the last three years you have two choices you either shut your doors and get regular paying jobs, and you'll work a lot less hours, you know, or you figure out how to make this profitable. And I was like, oh my gosh, what do you think I've been doing? I've been trying to make this business profitable. You know, it was like a slap in the face, but it was the slap in the face that I really needed because I was not doing what it is that I needed to do to make the business successful. I had clients that relied on me, employees and my own family. And I was putting, I was dropping my kid off at daycare every day and just feeling so guilty. I had this insane mommy guilt. My heart would break knowing that, Hey, there's a good chance. I'm hardly going to make any money today. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to pay the daycare bill. And, but when my, my accountant gave me that news and was like, you know what, you guys, something needs to change right away. I looked at my husband from across the table and I was like, there is no way that our marriage can survive a business failure. Like we are barely making it as it is. Like we were basically strangers living in the same home, like roommates. We had allowed all of the stress from fighting about money, how we're going to manage, you know, the money, how we're going to manage our clients, how we're going to spend time with our family to eat up at the love that we had. And we were just on the verge of divorce. And so I knew though, that our marriage could not survive a business failure. And I said, what do I need to do? How, what do I need to change? And from there, I knew I needed to step back. I needed to get a coach and I found a coach who had achieved the things that I wanted in my life, which was financial abundance and also relationship abundance, time with family. And so I got a coach. I met with him weekly and over time, over the next four years, I was finally able to break free from making less than a minimum wage to finally breaking the six figure mark, which was a huge deal for us. And then, and then, and then now we make over six figures, um, I'm so sorry. We made six figures a year. We broke the six figure a year mark. And now we make over six figures a month. Wow! And we achieved that in less than four years. And that is the power of having somebody walk you step-by-step on how to get out of the hell that you built for yourself. Because truly, I dug a hole for myself. And he helped me utilize my skills and my talents to the best of my abilities and build an incredibly successful business and spend more time with my family and have better health. Um, There was a time when I was actually bedridden from all of the stress and I had this mystery illness and it was insane and my, my life was out of control, but I now live a life that I absolutely love. I'm so grateful for this life. And I just know that everybody deserves to have a fulfilling life. And I know that if people would, were waking up consistently being excited about the lives that they live, the world would be such a better place. And so I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission to help people, to guide people to live a life of fulfillment. And so I've created a program called The Seven Habits of a Fulfilled Life, where it's a course, it's an online course And then also online coaching, where I coach people to, number one, identify their purpose. Number two, align their goals with their purpose. And then number three, live their purpose. Because I know that's the elixir of life, of having a fulfilling life.
0: When you're helping clients through your program, what's the most rewarding thing you see out of your clients?
1: First of all, it's hope. Because a lot of times people will, you know will enter into the program still with a lot of doubt. Like, can I really do this? Is this what I really need? And then as they're working through their program, they're like, oh my gosh, I can really do that. I can really live the life that I've dreamed of, that I want for myself and my family And those that I love, like, first of all, it's hope. And then number two is the confidence to actually execute because you can dream up whatever the heck you want. But the truth of the matter is you need to have a plan on how you're going to execute on that goal. And so that's one of the things that we do is we create an execution plan and I help them to stay accountable to to executing on a weekly basis and seeing them gain the confidence as they're hitting these milestones in their life is so incredibly rewarding and i've seen people go from being like especially during covid right they've lost their jobs um they're starting over in different careers and i've seen people start over in a new career thinking that they could never do something like that, right? Because they're not professional enough, or they don't have the confidence, or they don't have the knowledge, or they don't have the college degree, whatever the case might be. And they're taking on things that they never never thought that they could do. And that's so incredible to me.
0: Have you used your personal experience with helping these clients be able to overcome the obstacles and rise to their challenge in a way
1: oh absolutely this is why i have such conviction in the program is because these are the steps that i took these are the steps i took it was never super organized the way it is today but i look back at the adversity that i faced you know in in living in a cult escaping from the cult you know, starting a a business, failing miserably in the business, almost failing in my marriage, definitely failing as a mother and using these steps to rebuild my life, to live by design, to live on purpose with a purpose. And so I'm helping people and I know this works because I've done it. And, And not only have I done it, but a lot of the things that I'm teaching people in this course is things that I have learned over the last, you know, decade of studying and being a student of personal development, I'm, I'm gathering, uh, bits and pieces of what's worked for me from other people that I've learned from, like coaches like Brendan Burchard and, and, um, and Dean Graziosi and, and Tony Robbins and you know, Zig Ziglar and all of these people who have helped me become who it is that I am today. I'm, I'm utilizing little bits and pieces of all the things that I've learned from them that work for me and put it into a program that I know will work for them.
0: When you were going through the situation where you kind of were at the low point with you and your husband working on your company, some people might feel that they kind of won't admit that they need that help and people are afraid to go out and ask for it. Do you feel that that was not an option to say, we're gonna quit this, but we needed to reach out? And do you think if you didn't do that, the way your life is would be completely different?
1: Oh my gosh, yes. You know, there's, there's, although I was failing miserably for the first three years, there were so many lessons learned from that, you know? I didn't wanna start over. I had clients, employees, um, my own family. I just, I knew I could make it work. I just needed guidance. I needed help from somebody who had created a successful business. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful that I did because the truth of the matter is, I'm super grateful for the income that I make because not only does it allow me to live the life that I want to live with my family, but it also allows me to save it. It also allows me to give like I've never given before. And it is the best feeling in the world. Also, it's allowed me to branch out and start Envision Your Purpose, which is my coaching and consulting company to be able to do what it is that I'm so passionate about, you know, and any company that you start takes, it takes time to make money. There's no doubt about it, you know, and because I have money coming in from the, the commercial security company that I started, I now have the, the luxury of time and the, the luxury of that resource to help me build this other company that I know is going to change so many lives and it already has. So yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful. I felt like I was stuck in that hard spot, you know, where I could not. I couldn't just shut it down the business. I had to make it work.
0: Through your whole journey so far, what's the biggest thing you've learned about yourself?
1: <laughs> it's a really great question.
0: We asked the tough questions here.
1: The number one, the number one thing. I have a superpower. And that superpower is loving other people. And I've learned that through the hardships that I've been through during the time that I lived in the cult for those 10 years, because I have every reason to hate. I have every reason to hate the people that, uh, tore me away from my dad and my brothers and tore up my, my mom's marriage, you know, and all the horrific things that happened to us. I have every reason to hate but because I'm so grateful for this life that I live and that I've had a chance to live a life outside of that cult, all I feel is love, you know? And when I first came out with my story about the cult, I was concerned about their safety and not wanting to expose them. That was not, that's not what this is about at all. Cause I've never exposed them and, um, there's times people are like, dude, you really need to tell other people, like expose them so that other people don't join. Um, and that's definitely up to them. But, But for me, I know that my superpower is to love. I mean, I've never expected my mom to ever say sorry to me. I'm just going to continue to love her because I know that she was just trying to do her best. So that's the biggest thing I've learned about myself is that I have a superpower and it's loving people.
0: Do you have a relationship with your sisters and your mom today, or is it still, it is, it's, it's still distance, but you still stay in contact in a way?
1: So no, we actually, um, we've gotten pretty darn close um, over the last, my mom's been a part of my life again for, I don't know, like seven years approximately. and. I feel like when you can't talk about certain things, I mean, there's a limit to how close you can become with somebody. Um, but you know, she's really good to my kids and, um, I love her. I love her unconditionally. Sometimes my husband's like, dude, I don't even know why you're so loyal to her. It's like kind of, a he kind of, he sees it as like a like a disability <laughs> in certain ways. Cause he's like, cause he's had to overcome hating her,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, for what I went through. Um, but for me, it's just no question. She's my mother and yes, she's had her faults, but I'm going to continue to love. And then my sister, um, same with her. I mean, we've been through so much together and, um, yeah, her and I are really close. We live very different lives super different lives, but it doesn't matter. I love her unconditionally.
0: Well, it's kind of like, no matter if this, the situation, it's kind of like the past has happened and we're all learning from our past. And Like you said, it's your superpower to love and not hate because you want to be able to build that relationship towards the future and not hold on to the things in the past, even though it was big, but the future is what's more important the relationship that you guys are growing to have each and every day.
1: Yes, yeah, totally.
0: So, what does the future look like for you personally and professionally? What are you hoping to accomplish in the next few years?
1: <laughs> Thanks for asking. I love, I love, um, I love the visionary part of me, and I and I do dream really, really big. So, um, you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> you ready? I'm ready. So. Um, I'm launching the, the Seven Habits of a Fulfilled Life program and that starts in January and open enrollment starts next week. And um, I am on a mission to help hundreds of thousands of people for taking this program to transform their lives, to live their life on purpose, with a purpose, and a life that they love. And I know that on my journey... Um, like one of my my um, passions is to speak to people one on one or on stage, and I know when I do it on stage, I can I can reach the masses, and so I really love uh, speaking engagements. And so, and one of my coaches, I Brendan Burchard. I don't know if you're familiar with Brendan Burchard, but um, he's a big time influencer, and Oprah loves him. He actually coached Oprah and her team, and anyways. My goal is to one day be able to speak on his stage with him because he has an incredible audience and I can't see why he wouldn't want me on his stage one day.
0: I like the the path that you're going for. You're looking for what kind of fits your goals and what you're wanting and we're hope, we're excited. I think you're going to get there. You're going to get on that. <laughs> I just pass it. I mean, just for the short amount of time we've been talking, I see the passion towards your goal that you're going for.
1: Thank you. Thank you. And you know, I'm so grateful that you could see it too. I, um, I know why I'm going to be successful and it's because I'm never going to give up. Like you can't fail if you don't give up. And why would I ever give up on this goal? Why would I ever give up? on guiding people to live a life of fulfillment. I have been so blessed. It is my natural next step in life to help other people.
0: Yeah. The final question I'll ask you is, for someone that's listening to this interview, based on your journey and experience, what tips or advice would you give them to overcome their obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to their challenge?
1: So lovely, I love that question. Number one is get support. Get support from people who um have done what it is that you're looking to accomplish okay don't go to somebody who's never done what you what you're planning on doing or hoping to do okay because you know it's like the blind leading the blind find the support that you need um number two is learn you can only become better and live a better life if you are a continual student of life so like some of my favorite books are um, Start With Why, and that is all about discovering your purpose, but I actually have a, because um, some people don't really care to read or listen to audiobooks, and that's totally fine. I actually have a free PDF that I'd love to give to your audience, um, and it's called Discover Your Purpose. It's where you can put your purpose on paper in five minutes or less, um, and I'll, have, I'll give you the link so you can put in your show notes, and and basically, it's just five quick questions that are going to help you ide- identify what makes you tick, why it is that you're on earth today, what your purpose is in life. So um, I highly recommend you do that because I think a, a person without a purpose is like a person without a compass. You know, you you're just going to end up wherever life throws you, which right now is a lot of chaos. Yeah. You know. So um, yeah, put your purpose on paper. So that's number, number one, support. Number two is identify your purpose. And um, I guess number three is, is kind of what I've already talked about is, is be a lifelong learner.
0: Well, Christine, I wanna thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're definitely inspiring just so many people and we're excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you so much, Alex. Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow and subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the full-length episode in video format. What path will you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.